G'day, I am Tam and I am here to talk publicly about the crap no one else does. This podcast is for ladies wanting a no BS honest conversation about women's health, wealth, struggles and success. We talk separation, divorce, we banter about boob jobs and so much more. Join me and my guests as we share our insights and stories and have a whole lot of fun along the way. G'day and welcome to the I Am Tam podcast. This is your host, Tam Shields, and I actually pinched this episode from a mate of mine, Jay Burke. Jay is the Managing Director of Burke Britain Financial Partners. He's my financial advisor, but he's also one of my favourite people in the planet as the husband of one of my great mates, Kari. He's a father of five, and he's actually the second person that I spoke to when I was transitioning through my separation and divorce. Jay helped protect my family's future and he is simply the man to go to when it comes to protecting and preparing for impact. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. It's a lot about me, a lot about my past. So strap yourselves in and here is Jay and I having a chat. This is the Finances Podcast. I am Jay Burke, your usual host. I have a good friend of mine joining us today, client, Tammy Shields. Uh, welcome to the Finances Podcast. How you been? I'm great, Jay. I'm um, very pleased to be here and I'm very... Uh, you were impressed by the setup too, weren't I'm you? I'm very impressed by the setup. I'm, I don't mean just your setup, Jay, but I mean <laughs> the setup. <laughs> <laughs> When I walked in and I saw the mic set up, I went, this guy's fair dinkum. Cameras as well, everything. <laughs> the whole yeah. the whole kit and caboodle. Now, now, I felt a little bit rigid with some of my previous podcasts. Right. We've been talking about boring subjects okay. and yeah. most of my guests like Peter and Ben, they're pretty boring, okay. like they're in the finance industry. Oh, yeah. Sleepy that, sleepers and you know how I feel about that. Yeah. So, I'm a, a little bit more upbeat and uh, loose today yeah. having you on the podcast. Now, uh, I always like to start with a bit of an origin story, but let's... Let's start with the origin story of how you and I met. I can't even remember where it was. Can you? No. That's uh, a question with that notice. Sorry. I would have met. I would have met you through your wife Kari, who I met through our network marketing businesses. So I would have met Kari at some point. Loved her immediately. Uh, then met you. And how long have we known each other for? I reckon nearly nine years. Okay. Have to be. Yeah be about nine years wasn't long after I'd started my business that I met Kari because we were all part of the same um sort of I suppose this came under the same banner same team I don't remember where I met you I don't actually remember where I met Kari don't tell I must have made a real impression on you that first time yeah (laughs) (laughs) don't tell Kari I didn't don't remember where I met her but um yeah no I don't remember I just remember that straight away like straight away I was mates with Kari uh I think I sort of hang, hang, hang. A, I was hanging around her yeah, a lot, <laughs> like a puppy dog. Yeah, like a yeah. puppy dog. Yeah, it's always behind her, like all photos and stuff that we have from like way back then. She's like, you're like a creepy stalker. That, so, was, that was when she was cool with only two kids. Totally, and uh, oh, no, you had three kids in. Three. Yeah, okay. um, but only like I think Alfie would have been really little. Yeah, he would have been. He was a baby. Three. Yeah, it would have been three. It was, yeah, he was little. So, yeah, so we we would catch up then and then I met you and I think it was just the same. And Love at first sight. Yeah, and I'm not going to say that I like you more than Kari, but... You do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that. All right, let, let's... Because we couldn't yeah. nail an origin story there, let's go back a little bit yeah. further yeah. to uh, where'd you grow up, uh, 
what's your family history uh, and how did you end up where you are today, living down in Barwon Head. So oh, let's yes. go Let's go way back to where you're from. I'm very I think posh now. Shows, <laughs> shows the extreme journey, the extreme transition from country bogan girl to living in Barwon Remember, Heads. you're not allowed to say journey Journey. Today. I know, I went to say it and I changed to transition. Transforma- transition. Yeah, I like okay. transition, yeah. Well, that's, that's been co-opted as well recently, okay. but anyway. Oh, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> so whatever you like, Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in Tatura. Northeastern Victoria, just a little country town outside of Shep. Um, I always say Shepparton when someone asks me where I'm from because no one knows where Tad is. Well, all of our Shepparton clients will be interested to know mm-hmm. that you'd be very well known in the I Golden Valley am, region. Probably for not things that I'm proud of. <laughs> yeah, grew up there. Um, to be honest, as soon as I was old enough to get out, I did. How I, old was that? I was seven, about 17, okay. 17, 18. I moved out of the small town, I sort of felt like I wanted to see the world. I always sort of felt a little bit claustrophobic and um, I think I felt, always felt that people have um, a perception of who you are when you're in a town, a small place like that, and that perception of you stays as it is forever. So even I think today if I was to go back there, people would still see me as Tam from Tat from right back then. They don't know anything about my journey. My journey. There yeah. you go. Or where, like where I am today, what I'm doing. Were you, were you on a, were you on a dairy farm, or did you just? No, nah, lived in town. Dad's yep. a panel beater. Had okay. had his own business as a panel beater. Um, mum was a stay-at-home mum, but once my youngest brother, I'm the eldest of three, got two younger brothers, and I'm the boss. And <laughs> they, um, as soon as my youngest brother started going to school, mum got herself a part-time job. Mum was always somebody who, uh, always, always worked, always had an income. Always, uh, I th- always found it very important to have her own, like financial independence. You seem as though you've uh, a bit of that's rubbed off on you. I'd suggest, Tammy. Yes, that I think for me, um, particularly, what I'll talk about over the next um, little while is, I'm really passionate about women having like knowing what their bank account is. There are a lot of people that I speak to. Um, through what I'm doing now that just really don't know anything. And I mean, Jay, you first, I'm first to admit to you and you know this, I hate really talking about, I guess, yeah, (laughs) like it bores the crap out of me, like it really does. (laughs) But I've been very, I suppose, I don't need to know everything about it, but I also have somebody else that's, that's a professional who's you in that space that can give me advice about what I should do in regards to it. So... I'm not good at everything. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, actually, I'm good at everything. I'm not great at, at everything. And so it's not something that interests me. So I don't spend time doing it. But what I do is I have people around me who are really good at it. So yeah, I think that's important, but I'm knowledgeable now. Um, I've always been knowledgeable about, you know, having my own income. I've always had my, I've always worked, um, have my own money, not being great at managing money, but certainly conscious that I um, particularly when I went through um, my separation divorce, which I'll get into in a minute, that I had the right plan in place around that. And I knew I wasn't – I did not have the tools to be able to set that up. I had to get someone else to help me, which was you. Yep. Obviously, we're, we're, we're coming up. There's some method behind the, the origin story for yourself because it leads to a couple of fairly significant life events for you, which mm-hmm. from a planning point of view, very uh, relevant and uh, things that – I've been a part of, been able to help you with mm-hmm. over, uh, I was going to say your journey. But l- yes. l- let's, before we get to those, <laughs> let's keep the timeline ticking. Yep. Uh, so you left uh, 
Tatura when you were 17. Where did you go then? I moved up with a few mates to Cairns. To Cairns, Yeah, actually my boyfriend at the time, he had already just moved up there with a couple of mates and so I got on a Greyhound bus and spent a beautiful three-day journey up to Cairns. Did Um, you have a plan or you just... No, just turned up. Ticket and go. Ticket and go. So packed up what I had, went up there with a backpack and another bag, I think. So did you did you finish school? Yep, finished year twelve in Tatura. Yep. So I went to Marupna High, Marupna Secondary College. They called it Marupna Secondary College after they tried to fancy it up, but uh, truth be known, like there was a kid who burnt down the whole admin building on the last day of my year twelve exam. So it wasn't. It uh, it, it was actually very interesting. I went to a, a Catholic primary school, and then Mum and Dad gave me the option whether to go to a Catholic high school or a public high school. I chose public. Mainly because it had great IT, it had much better IT, and it had a really good sports program, which was things that I—that was what I was interested in. So, when you say IT, infotech. Infotech. Back then, okay. it was. Didn't know computers existed back then. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> they were big computers, yeah. <laughs> about the same time size of this t- table, but that's what I chose. So that was a real. I went from being a really naive young kid in a Catholic school in a small town to. A, an environment that had a, a lot, a totally different socioeconomic um, level, lots of kids who were really living on benefits, lots of kids who were dropping out of school very early. Back then was Satura, Golden Valley, still fairly heavily, uh, heavy population of migrants? Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, and particularly Marupna, where it was placed, so it wasn't, it was sort of, no, it's sort of a bit of no man's land and it, and it was, you know, it, it was a t- the total opposite to what I'd grown up to. So I think it's pl- put me in good stead moving forward in life because I'm I'm quite dynamic. I can get along with pretty much anyone. <laughs> I'm not nothing worries me too much when it comes to being around people. And but I'm very good at picking up energies of things that might be a dangerous environment or an off. You know, it was totally different to what I'd known. But I loved it. I loved it. I loved the diversity of the people that I got to hang out with. Yeah, that the. Exposure to a different environment, giving you that sort of radar, like you, you mentioned, like allows you to sort of see what's going on in the world more broadly rather than being yeah. living in this tiny little bubble. bubble. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so once I left high school, I think I got into, oh, I'm going to be honest with you, I was drunk at my year 12 English exam, so I didn't really, really yeah, didn't wow. even care, but passed. So I was always a really good student. Was it in the morning or was it at night? I don't know. It was mid-afternoon maybe. Wow. <laughs> so I was that kid that could always – I was always smart enough to get by just doing what I had to do uh, but wasn't striving. And I think probably if I'm going to be really honest about it, I don't think I felt like I was going to be able to go to – go to university because my parents maybe were they weren't they weren't in, I didn't feel that they were in a financial situation maybe even put me through university so so that was had you thought maybe I'd like to go to uni but mum and dad Probably. I don't think going to be able to pay for it yeah okay yeah I definitely remember that being a thought process back then um look there were a lot of wealthy kids that went to the school that I went to you know farming community all around as well a lot of wealthy families old money um but then of course like I said there was kids that dropped out of school at 13 and 14 had kids of their own um, and it was just, you know, it was just this very different, a different sort of exposure to life and what you want to do. So I, in saying that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do either. So, and I hated being pigeonholed into doing one thing. So when I finished year 12, I went and cleaned some houses for some people. I actually packed tomatoes out on a, out at a 
did some fruit picking. As you do in the Golden as Valley. As you do in the Golden Valley. Um, packed tomatoes, you know, 40 degrees in a tin shed, packing tomatoes. I, it just gave me a really good insight. It's like, do you know what? This is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. But it also, it, I suppose it, it was a way of earning an income and I knew I had to make money. You know, like I wasn't, I was never going to ask mum and dad. It was never in a situation where I expected my parents to pay for anything. Mm. It's kind of important. I'm thinking about uh, Willow, who you know, my eldest, mm -hmm. uh, working at McDonald's saying, hey, dad, I, I don't really like this. I go, yeah, it's kind of good to not do, like it. do that work that you don't like and yeah. realise that actually I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. Yep. Yep. So uni wasn't on for you. No. You jumped on the, the bus, mm -hmm. you went to Cairns mm -hmm. with some friends. How long were you in Cairns for? I was up there for a couple of years, got myself a job in a roofing uh, a roofing business. Were you climbing around in small spaces in a roof? <laughs> no. I was the admin. Funnily enough, I ended up being sort of like the trust, the trust accountant and worked with the money and the finances part of things for somebody else's business. It was good. I was up there for a couple of years. First they boyfriend. They, they obviously didn't ask you whether you enjoyed finance no. when they gave you that role. <laughs> I just, you know what? I think it was, it was, I don't know if it's the same now because I'm not in the position, but I've always found that if you need work, you can find it. And I wasn't fussy about what I did. I was like, I need a job. I'll go get a, I'll go get a job. And I've sort of always been like that. I didn't, it didn't really matter what the environment was at the time. I just like, I just need to make money. So this is what I'll do. And I loved it. I learned a lot in that. I learned a lot in that role. And they were fantastic. I actually broke up with my work boyfriend when I was living up there after about 18 months. And uh, the boss said to me, well, how are you going to get around? You don't have a car. And I was like, I don't know yet. I'll just, I don't know. I'll get a bike. And he said, you can have one of the company cars. So here I, I was like loving life. I was pimping it in the boss's pimping car. It in the boss's car. They gave me a company car. I was 20. I was getting around in cans. I think I started to date one of the roof plumbers. I was having a great time for a while. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then um, I hadn't seen mum and dad for two years because they hadn't, they hadn't been able to come up and visit me. So I ended up flying home. I decided that's it. Chapter over. And so yeah, got got back to um, got back to Shepparton. Needed to get a job. Actually, got a job as a debt collector for a place called Receivables Management Group, which had great fun. Like for part of it, I mean, it was an awful job. You had to ring old ladies for like three dollar, three dollars and five dollars from Golden Valley Health that they hadn't paid their account, and send the sheriff out and do all that sort of stuff, which wasn't great. But it was it was a job. But the thing was, it was right next door to LJ Hooker in Shepparton at that point and when a job came up there for a trust accountant I went for the job and got it so another, another job in finance another job in finance can you wow. believe it yeah so I was a trust accountant for LJ Hooker I reckon I was probably stayed for about 12 months had my 21st when I lived in Shep um got involved in the footy netball club did all the things um my life in terms of health looked very different back then drank a lot smoked darts like total different to what I am a now a little thicker little thicker <laughs> you've seen the photos <laughs> <laughs> you've seen the wraparounds um <laughs> and yeah but still played sport was still sort of active um and then it came to a point you know one day I just remember sitting in LJ Hooker which was directly across the road from the Sherbourne nightclub which was the place that you'd go on a Saturday night Friday Saturday night in Sherp and I'm looking at it and I thought I don't want my life to be this on the weekend and this during the week I'm out so again rummaged through the paper I don't think it was even online back then got the Herald Sun found myself a job in Albert Park in, in the a, big smoke in the big smoke had you been to Melbourne I'd been to Melbourne before yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I packed up my day with Lanos 
<laughs> packed up my day we Lanos, all my worldly possessions, got a job as a receptionist at uh, a little law firm in Albert Park and loved it. Moved down, moved in with a friend's, a friend's mate, like just through word of mouth, hadn't met him before. He was my roommate, moved in into um, Glen Iris, beautiful part of Melbourne. Got another job working in a takeaway shop there, a noodle place. <laughs> he was like literally the worst boss in the whole world, but it paid for my Friday nights at the Elephant in the Wheelbarrow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, had fun. So while I was there, again, um, I thought, okay, well, this is, I'm in Melbourne now, I'm earning money, but is this really what I want to do? And I thought I can get back. I'd been pretty good at in the real estate thing. I loved, I love the energy of real estate. I love that sort of, you know, fast paced and, and I like the marketing and all that side. So I ended up going for a job in um, Kensington in Rendina real estate, which back then. Lou Rendina. Louie. Louie yeah. was my first boss in real estate in Melbourne. Got a job for Lou. And with Lou, Lou was probably about 25 then and he was making some big waves in Did, Melbourne. Have we talked about uh, the connection between Lou before? Have we talked about no, Lou before? Yeah, no. I, We've never spoken about... I don't think we've ever spoken about Lou. Okay. Because I think Lou was originally from... He's from Lara. Lara, Geelong. I think yeah. he might have actually been gone to Cronorth High School. Or maybe I've got that wrong, Flinders Peak. But no, he might have, yeah. Yeah, so Peter, yes. uh, my dad, yeah. I believe was... Uh, one of Lou's uh, teachers at school. Oh, God. Yeah. So. <laughs> there you go. Small world. It is a small world. So he was like really uh, making some waves in Melbourne. He was this up and coming, you know, really ballsy real estate agent, young fella, making, you know, making huge profit, selling like <laughs> with huge commission. Won't go into it too much. I don't know about the legalities about Lou Redita, <laughs> but he was great. It was a great environment. Met loads of great people. Like everyone was young and it was fast paced and great fun. So, Worked there, then met someone new who lived on the other side of the city. So then I ended up getting um, a job in real estate at another place called Gary Pier and Gary Pier Real Estate, which has been around for a very long time. It was um, predominantly a Jewish real estate firm and I became their trust accountant there. Jeez, another job in finance. Yep. Someone who doesn't like, maybe you've just got sick of finance over your, maybe uh, I have. your working career. Yeah. Do you know what? Maybe it's because I was liked... I didn't. I was very good at dealing with other people's finances. I couldn't be bothered when it came to my own. Yeah. So, um, yeah, went and worked for Gary. They were great. They, I mean, they taught me a lot about money. <laughs> um, that community, how they worked, and you know, really clever, really business savvy, marketing, and that was extraordinary. So, I worked for them for a little while, and then um, one day, off, just out of the blue, someone said to me, um, "It was actually my boss at the time, Justine." who's now head of golf recruitment in Melbourne, she actually said to me, oh, Virgin Blues um, launched in Melbourne. Maybe you should go for a job there and took the piss a bit because I'm five foot tall, no no taller. And she said, oh, I wonder if that you can get a job there like you're not, not tall enough. So that very next week I got myself an interview at the group interview for Virgin Blue and I went and I got the job. So <laughs> I you're left. A, you're a virgin girl. I was a virgin girl, yeah. Just did it, loved it. Domestic or international? Domestic. Yep. Uh, had all the benefits of international, but didn't actually do a lot of international travel when I was there. But I made a lot of great friends. So what time? What uh, what age were you? I would point? have been twenty five. Yeah. Yeah, twenty five at that stage. Um, it was great experience. Probably not great in terms of health wise. Health wise, it was a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, a lot of. Um, you know, my favourite thing to do was have a diet coke and a smoke as soon as I finished my shift. It was just totally. Totally different to now, but it was a great, it was a great, um, 
great lifestyle. Like I'd recommend it for any young person that wants to travel and see the world. And, you know, it gave me a lot of great life skills as well. So you mentioned the kids before, Darcy, mm-hmm. Asher and Finn. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you when did you start to settle down? When did this, uh, yeah. this crazy young Golden Valley girl... Uh, <laughs> became a virgin a air hostess when did she when did she find love and settle down yeah so I met my who would be my husband uh, I met him when I was 27 okay, so, so a couple, couple of years, years later yep um, yeah just 27 I think and we started dating and then it came to the point where I was sort of didn't want to be away all the time anymore wanted to be home more we were living together. We actually lived together from the moment we met because I was actually living with his flatmate. As he was, um, his brother was my flatmate at the time and he'd moved down from the Sunshine Coast, needed somewhere to stay, so he moved in with us. So that was it. We met, we started dating and uh, two years later I fell pregnant with who would be my first son, Finn. Um, had Finn when I was 30. We got married... Uh, almost a year after that or was no sorry it was just a year after that so I had Finn in 2008 um, got married in 2009 and then after that had my second son Asha who was born in 2010 and then I had my daughter Darcy who was born in 2012. So how old were you when Asha was born? I would have been 32 and then had Darcy when I was 34. 34. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So at this time uh and we might have touched on it earlier, but uh, at this time, how's your relationship going? Is everything going swimmingly? Is family <laughs> life uh, good for you? Or was there some signs that this is probably not what you wanted? Okay, so I recognised uh, when I had had my second, when I had my second son, that it wasn't a relationship I wanted to be in, but it wasn't something I was saying out loud to anybody. I knew I wasn't happy. Um, we owned our own businesses, my husband's business, which I was working in helping him with the admin side of things and the money side of the finance type of side of things. Yeah. Again, here we go again. Yeah. There seems to be a pattern, Jay, I hadn't thought about before, but, um, it's fairly strong (laughs) pattern too. I can see why you're uh, a jack of all things finance. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I could see, well, after working with him, we worked very differently. So I liked to pay bills. He didn't. Um, he, it was a very strong ca- cash run business. Um, I liked to have think. Well, I was a trust accountant. I like to know when the money's coming, how much is owed, where it's going to, what's being spent on. I understood business as though it's not just the cash you have in your pocket with overheads. I really understood that well. He didn't so much. So he was very. Whilst he was very good at making income. He was not good at all at managing it and that caused a lot of stress. So um, after a couple of years, I stepped away from the business. We ended up getting a bookkeeper at the time who was a friend of ours to step in and he said, I'll be able to handle it all, leave it to me. Um, And it was around about that same time actually when Asha was born about 20, Asha was born in 2010, I had a, I suppose, a life altering moment. One of my very best friends died suddenly and it was then I realised that I'm not happy, but I sort of didn't know what to do and I didn't want to admit it. Um, We'd bought a block of land, we were building a house, uh, had two kids. I was ticking all those boxes. So how old were the kids at this point when you had that realisation? You lost your friend and thought, hey, life's short, this is not what I want. They were two and a baby. I had two of them at the same time. They were two and brand new. And, but I stayed. And I just sort of thought, okay, well, what can I do to sort of make things 
better or ignore them or so I got busy, got busy planning the house, built the house, got busy decorating the house, got busy buying shit at Country Road no one needs. I got busy just getting, I just got busy being busy. Um, ended up studying at that time. I ended, had Darcy two years after that, so I had Darcy in 2012. Um, I remember sitting at my kitchen table and studying to be a fitness instructor then. Uh, I'd started doing some mums and bub classes, mum and bub classes in my backyard I was starting to recognise that I needed an income of my own, but with three small kids under four, three kids under four, um, timing was limited, and and managing you know three little kids that with one at kinder, it was sort of like what can I do? What money can I make? What can I do to create an income stream at this point? So what what actually were you thinking at that point? Listen. I need to have an exit plan or... Not yet. No, okay. No, not yet. So it was, uh, I think, I knew things were bad in terms of his business wasn't going well. Nothing was being told to me, but a couple of people had reached out. I'd actually started fitness instructing for someone, funnily enough, a friend of mine at her local gym. and um, But my husband at the time was also uh, doing some business with them. And he'd owed them some money. And uh, when I'd approached her and said, you know, wh- am I going to get paid for the work that I'd done? She said, look, we can't pay you because your husband owes, you know, a certain amount of money. So I'd been doing this fitness instructing to sort of build a little bit of independence around that. But they I ended up not being able to receive it because he owed them money. So there was always a lot of stress around money it, through my marriage. At that point, what was kind of your internal dialogue? What, what were the conversations? I'm assuming... At this point, were you having conversations with other people or was it mostly, mostly self-reflection? You're thinking inwardly, shit, what am I, yep. I going to do? Inwardly, yep. Um, and then... So, so what, what was Inwardly, it? I was thinking, what am I going to do? I've got three little kids. Um, I don't think I was thinking about leaving. I was thinking about how can I help at this point. Um, we'd started doing some marriage counselling, you know, sleeping separate rooms not having a relationship whatsoever which we hadn't for years anyway but we did ticked all those boxes like you should do when you when you know that there's something coming down the barrel and and you don't necessarily want it to be that you you know I I was always pretty like I said I was always good at everything yeah and thinking that I was going to fail at marriage was something that I wasn't willing to do without putting up a fight um so I suppose I glossed over the bad stuff for a long time, but internally I was recognising that I needed to get our shit sorted out. And it was probably about, I think Darcy would have been, my daughter would have been, well, how old she's now? So she's 10 now. So it would have been a year after, she would have been a year old. And I had actually reached out to um, a friend of ours, Jay's and I's, um, her name's Danny, Danny Stevens. She her son Finn and my son Finn were going to kinder together at that stage. They're only a little same age and she was very quiet, Danny. But I'd heard, I think I'd seen on social media or on Facebook or something that she was running this business from home, earning an income from home. Um, I actually approached her at the beach one day. The kids were doing surf groms together and I walked up to her and I said, hey, what's his, um, what's his Arboni thing you were doing? And she said... <laughs> She said, uh, it's called Arbon. And I was like, well, can you tell me about it? She goes, well, I'll pop around and have a cuppa. And she talked to me about network marketing and it blew my mind. I'd never heard anything like it before. Um, I, I straight away saw the business side of it and went, okay, this is an opportunity for me to make an income at home with kids. Um, I, I can teach people how to shop online. No problem at all. I've been doing it with my country road sales for ages before then. I was booking flights online. I was doing everything online already. And so I really got the concept of the business very quickly. 
and very little overhead. So that's, I was like, no overhead, opportunity to make income, boom, I'm all over it. So I'd started that, uh, I kicked off that business. A year later, I'd reached almost the top of the company. I was making an income stream, a good income stream, and then I had some choices and I could go, okay, what do I want this to look like now? So you in kind of a, uh, let's say, what's the word? Not organic way, but you were you were kind of doing the things that, as a financial advisor, I'd probably be encouraging people to start to think about. You were doing it intuitively. Yeah. You were starting to sort of line some of those ducks mm-hmm. up and understand, okay, what's my potential to earn an income? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming at that point, and this is pre this predates you and I meeting. It maybe around that. M- this is probably very close to where we first met. It uh, is. Yeah, and I think. We mentioned, I'm not sure whether it was uh, before we started recording, that like this this event in your life uh, is not unique to you. No. It's, it's unfortunately something that a lot of uh, women particularly struggle with, and of course men do as well, but uh, women struggle very much with that uh, sense of uh, understanding exactly where they, they sit in the the financial world and and Mm -hmm. contemplating okay if i do go my own separate way then what have i got what is it going to cost me what am i going to do with the kids and getting some structure and organization around that again you were doing it kind of intuitively but as uh, as someone who advises people on this regularly having awareness around your situation is the most important it's not easy no it, it's not easy but it's essential so that you can start to work out how can i actually be self-sufficient and yep. how can i be self-sustaining and how can i be independent uh, well people often say to me i don't know how you did it how did you do what you've done and we'll talk about a little bit about that as we go on but it's more like you got to do what you got to do. And I knew from the environment around me, like you said, intuitively, I knew that things were going bad. I knew things were going bad with my husband's business. Um, look, we had all the stuff, like we had the cars, we had a nice big, you know, 50-something square house. We had, you know, four different types of linen I could use on every bed, like all that shit, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but that's, I had all that stuff. But So from the outside looking in, people were looking at uh, a family that was going pretty good. Yeah, and but internally inside, it was it was soul destroying. It was a numb environment. There was so much fear. There was so much arguing about income because I knew that things weren't getting paid. I could sense it. Um, at one point, we had people come around that were looking for him for money that was owing, like some scary people that you wouldn't necessarily want coming around when you got three kids sleeping upstairs and. That's when it triggered. That's for me the moment when I went, shit's getting real. I got to, I got to do something. I got to get it together now. Um, and I specifically remember that day. My brother came inside and said, "There's some people outside. They're looking for your ex-husband. They're looking for your husband. And what are you going to do?" And I was like, "I know exactly what I'm going to do." And and thankfully, I'd already put in place a few of those things. I'd already got smart about my money. Uh, I'd already start. Ha- having and i mean look i i truly believe if i can do it with three little kids under four in that environment anybody can do it (laughs) um if you need to do it enough if if you really need to you can find a way there's money out there to be made you've just got to you know be open to different ways of earning it uh yeah so it was probably 
I had I had one conversation with a friend, only one conversation with a friend about it, saying I think I'm gonna I think um, Darcy would have been, yeah, Darcy would have been two. So, so my kids were six, four, and two when I made the decision to finally leave, and my next conversation was with you. So I called you and I said, this is what I'm doing. Um, about to, I've just put the house on the market. Uh, went back, had the conversation with my then husband, said, I'm, I'm separating from you, don't want to be in this environment anymore, I'm leaving. And he was like, pretended that he didn't know it was coming, but <laughs> it was. Um, but what I did right from the beginning is that I, I think maybe Jay Burke, the universe brought you to me because you were the very best thing that I could have done at that point. I, for somebody who'd worked clearly in finance for all these years, I knew that I didn't know what the steps were that I needed to take in order to safeguard my kids and myself moving forward at that point. And I'm not um, on here today to talk, you know, to badmouth my ex-husband. He had his own stuff going on. He was going through his own stuff. But um, what I will say is even in an amicable situation uh, when your partner and you, uh, you know, have agreed to separation, it, I think it, I don't know how else to put this other to say that I think it's a really stupid thing to do to just trust that the other person's going to do the right thing by you. And that's the biggest mistake I see women in particular make when they're considering or going through separation and divorce is they just trust, they go, they will say to you that I wouldn't imagine that would happen to me. I couldn't imagine he would do that to me. I wouldn't imagine that he wouldn't pay for his kids. So, you know, I can't imagine he'd never pay for you know support us I mean seriously it's like a broken record I hear it so often and thank god I just I rang you and I, I need to get my ducks in a row I don't know what to do I don't know I, I really didn't know the first thing to do so I asked for help and when you say it out loud it can be something that I'd been, had all this internal dialogue for many years about but when you say it out loud it becomes real and then you can do something about it and it, yes it was scary and it was awful but it's scarier and more awful when you don't have any power or any knowledge or any plan that was way worse yeah i think the holding on to that uh, like you said you held on to that a lot of that internally mm -hmm. and being scared internally without actually having some support structure around you is is the worst mm -hmm. and i th think again we spoke about this earlier that uh, anyone thinking that a, a separation is is a simple thing or an easy thing uh, should you know reconsider because it's a very very I don't mean reconsider separation I mean it's a it's a difficult thing mm -hmm. and you should go in with open eyes knowing that it is difficult and that you do actually need support so uh, surrounding yourself with support is, is super important and uh, I think one of the things that you did again prob probably intuitively uh, mm -hmm. when you know the kids were very young and I think the the benefit of you having experienced that is that talking about it today mm. you can actually give people some structure and say hey here's some of the things that uh, I did intuitively maybe I did them well maybe I did them poorly but mm -hmm. these were the steps that I took to put myself in a better place to put myself in a position where I could be truly independent and do my own thing yeah I think oh yeah there's definitely things I stuffed up but <laughs> uh, I I had already started 
putting really positive, great role models around me. I had, um, you know, I was stalking Kari, which led me to you. <laughs> uh, another couple of girlfriends. I, I was very conscious at the time. I didn't tell a lot of people about my situation because I didn't want to have to explain it energetically. That would have been difficult for me. I couldn't be bothered with it. I didn't want people's advice. I didn't want... I mean, I never take. I, I tend to never take advice on from people who aren't living a life I want anyway. But I also didn't want to man bash. I was, you know, my kids. Their dad was still their dad. As much as it, we'd had uh, a difficult relationship, I still wanted him involved in their life. But I also knew that with the way he managed money, I would have been a fool to not safeguard the kids and I around that. Um, it just so happened, oh, look, we sold our home, I think I put it on the market, we sold it about a week and a half later, um, probably 90% of the income from that house sale went into business debt, that most of which I didn't even know existed, um, but I agreed to to pay that out because we were, you know, we were married for that time, so we were a partnership. Um, I think I came out of it with maybe fifty or $60,000. I think that's all I had, nothing else. Uh, and and I was a primary caregiver to the kids. So we actually ended up renting a place together. He moved in with us for a few months before until he could get on his feet because we sold the house so quickly. Um, I didn't want him moving out of the house at Christmas time, which is uh, it was around that time of year, and I didn't want that associated with – I didn't want the kids to think about Christmas with Dad moving out. So he moved out in the January after Christmas. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I said, okay, it's time. But, you know, every every person's situation and uh, everyone's situation and their family environment and how they're running things is very different, which is why I think getting advice on your personal situation, like I can't tell people what's going to work for them. I can just talk about what worked for me and I'm able to now thankfully have access to lots of great people and professionals that can help in this space that can give advice, I think, yes, I think everybody who is considering separation and divorce or going through it should have financial advice. I think every single person who's going through it should have personal insurances to cover things if something bad was to happen. I think that every person should have some type of legal advice about custody and put that in place. I think you just got to do the stuff maybe that you don't want to do. Yeah. Talking about the legal side of things, and again, this, I don't want to segue too far uh, into sort of the, the detail of sort of family law, but one of the things that scares people a lot is that idea that as soon as they start to talk to solicitors, that it's going to, you know, they're going to, everything's going to be chewed up in legal fees. Now, yes, that potential exists. That potential exists even more so if things are very uh, and uh, uh, not amicable mm-hmm. and one of the things that I encourage uh, everyone to do and this is always difficult like I said it's a it's a difficult situation but wherever possible if you can be as amicable as possible mm-hmm. with the the discussions that you have around separating now that can be really tough particularly when we've got emotions of a relationship that's fractured together with the financial situation that in a lot of instances uh, parties don't know where all their money is. Yeah. So one of the steps that I've always encouraged people to do is as a starting point is to get informed. Like that starting point of lining your ducks up means, okay, 
let's work out what you've actually got mm -hmm. so that when you actually go to the table, and this is even before you're having conversations with solicitors, if you're coming to the c table to actually have a conversation with your partner about you know, things of a financial nature or separating, that you actually come prepared rather than feeling bamboozled uh, by you know, misinformation, that you're actually aware of what you've got uh, and you can, like, like you did, you can yep. start to make some more informed personal decisions about what you're doing. And it's also a time when people are going through that that they feel a lot of shame and guilt. Yep. So they want to feel like they're doing the right thing by the other person and that can really impede on that as well. So I think the sooner you can make it, and we talked about this before, the sooner you can make it a business transaction, think about it like a business transaction, take the emotion out of it, the better. Um I was really fortunate. I got advice from you and I, I financially separated a year before I was divorced. So my financial separation went through, um, had orders put in place. That all was done before I was before my divorce was finalised. I think one of the common mistakes that I see is that uh, and people ve leave a very loose end with their the wrapping up of the financial separation. Like you said, you were financially separated and had a like a delineated line between mm -hmm. your assets uh, before you were, you know, you'd, you'd formally divorced. And a lot of people leave that hanging, go, we'll, we'll kind of work it out later. Well, doesn't work. You know, he'll, he'll continue to support me here and I'll help him there. What ultimately happens in 80 or 90% of cases is that once another relationship is started, mm -hmm. uh, the, there's a further breakdown of the amicable nature if it was amicable before as soon as there's a, a, a third party or a fourth party involved uh, that tends to go to shit it dissipates totally yeah, quickly very so quickly yep uh, and again all of this is really difficult stuff it's difficult stuff that's dealt with at an emotional time mm -hmm. like having conversation with people when they're at the height of their emotion talking about things that they're probably not spoken about before uh, you know cash flow, budgeting, income, uh, debt. These are there's a lot to mm -hmm. there's a lot to carry and that's why as you said getting some support, getting some support whether it be through uh, a friend who's been through a similar circumstance, uh, whether it be going and seeking some advice, uh, you know, you do need to surround yourself like you did with good people, good role models, people that can actually point you in the right right direction and also pull you up mm. when you're heading down the wrong path. Yeah, that's. I think that's what I've been very, uh, maybe subconsciously, I've done that a lot, is uh, the people that I have around me, like you, Jay, and other friends, like other girlfriends, Carrie's one, uh, Danny would be one, another friend of mine, Amy, they're people that don't listen to my BS if I'm talking BS. Like, they wouldn't allow that sort of, they wouldn't indulge me if I was, uh, if they didn't agree with what I was trying to say or get across. So... Yeah, there was definitely having that having great support people that would have my back no matter what, but also pull me up if I was like, hang on a minute, Tam, that doesn't sound, you know, do you think that's fair? Do you think that's the right thing to do? Or, and and there was no real, I mean, I don't really remember. I think I got upset the first time I came and spoke to you because it's the first time I was really talking about stuff out loud. But from that point forward, I don't think I really had having leaving here and having a plan in place was literally the best thing I could have done. Uh, I mean, particularly later on in life, uh, a few years later actually. But yeah, and and then when um, 
I think I'd been separated. We'd been separated about six months and my ex had um, found a new partner, met someone new and I had about a month later. That's when things that were sort of going along okay at that point uh, 100% took a downward spiral and and uh, particularly around – so we had done a financial separation in terms of assets and income uh, – so anything that I earned from that point was mine. Anything he earned was his, but also that w- came down to debt as well. Any debt he incurred from that point was his. Any debt I incurred was mine. Um, but things like um, paying child support for the children was had just been at that point, up until that point, just a verbal agreement. So he would just contribute what he could when he could. Uh, and I was I had the kids with me 100% of the time and they might see him on the weekend or... Um, every second weekend or something at that point so there was no structure around that and I suppose it went on probably if I look back it probably went on for close to two years uh, where I was I suppose a creditor that he could decide that he wanted to pay or not pay when he wanted to I just became someone who um, you know I think it must be difficult sometimes I'd met someone new he'd met someone new and he when he'd have to you know, when he would give me money or put money into the account, he would think of it as though it's money for me, not money to support the children. And for two years, I think we just went backwards and forwards with him saying he was going to pay for things and contribute. And um, in the end, I just said, no more. I'm not doing it anymore. It caused me more stress having to f- having to deal with it. So uh, we ended up doing some mediation, but it ended up we got our own. I got a family, my family lawyer that helped me with the the, um, the consent order around finances. She then helped me in terms of working out a parenting order, which we got placed as a custody order. So it's a legal document. We could not have any communication uh, two years after our separation whatsoever that was going to be have a positive outcome to it. So we just decided to let the lawyers do it instead probably the best decision I'd made mediation was a nightmare for me works for some people I hated it was anxious before I turned up hated sitting across the table from someone that I I felt wasn't telling the truth and it just was worse and I would leave always feeling awful and I thought do you know what I don't need to do this to myself anymore I ended up um, having a family lawyer we just got the parenting and to this day that um, parenting arrangement is in place there was a period of time where the kids were with me full time um, they didn't see their dad for a while. He went through a stage where he wasn't able to have the children with him. He wasn't well. So the kids were with me the whole time. But on occasion, I would take the kids to see him supervised and that went on for about 12 months. So, yeah, in terms of actual child support, that's probably <laughs> the thing that I'm most passionate about talking about with women because, you know, what the way the system works, it can be manipulated both ways. People can probably pretend that they're earning less than what they are so that they don't have to pay child support and then maybe it could work on the flip side where people are saying that they're earning more and they're not so it can work both ways whether or not you're the primary carer and someone's owing you the money or you owe the money you can manipulate the system it's very simple to manipulate the system Um, and even uh, now to this day um, in terms of child support I get zero dollars per month from my ex-husband to support the children he pays no nothing at all towards um, the financial raising of them. He does, however, have the children every second weekend for two days and a week during the school holidays as part as part of the parenting order. But in terms of financially contributing to 
raising them. The kids are now 14, 12 and 10. Um, we're talking about schooling costs, uniforms, food, housing. I mean food. <laughs> food. I'll say food again. You know what it's like, Joe, five kids, food. Um, all of those expenses that you would have assumed that would have been helped out with aren't. And I think if I wasn't in the financial position that I'm in now and have planned for that earlier, I w- it would be a very different Tam Shield sitting here having a talk to you today. Your experience with uh, your, your separation was obviously a fairly uh, pivotal part in your life, but it's, it's, not, it's not the only one mm-hmm. that sort of presented some challenge to you, challenges to you financially and personally. Let's fast forward just a little bit. How much, let, I'll let you tell the story in the lead up, uh, h- how much longer after you were separated did you uh, receive a, a diagnosis, a health diagnosis, yep. and what was it? So in 2019, uh, after about six months so it was about Feb 2019, I started to feel a little bit unwell, had some chest p- chest pain, sore left breast, um, was starting to feel like I knew something was off. Um, health-wise, I was pretty good. Like I was running and my body, like if you see me down the street, you'd say, gee, she's fit and healthy. Like I looked good, um, eating right, doing all the right things. Wasn't smoking. I'm not, I've been off the darts for 15 years now, no more ciggies. Uh, rarely drank and just was living a conscious, healthy life in those aspects, but in terms of adrenal stress, um, still worrying about money, still worrying about my kids' future, still worrying about, you know, at that time, I, you know, my ex-husband had had some mental health stuff go on. So I had the, f- you know, the full physical and emotional, um, I suppose, responsibility for the kids. So that was a lot of stress that I wasn't dealing with. Um, so my body said, hang on a minute, Tam, it's time to it's time to slow down. Here's a red flag and you need to do something about it. So this is 2019. When did you separate? Uh, I separated, uh, I think it was 2016. So about three years three post years. that. Yeah. And you had your you had your Arbonne business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were, were you doing anything else work-wise? Just doing a bit of fitness instructing. Um, but that was it. Had, yep. f- had Ferg come onto the scene yet or not? Yeah, so I'd met Ferg. Um, Ferg is my... He would call me his current partner. (laughs) 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 I met the cheeky Irishman in a Las Vegas bar back in, it was 2016. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I think I must have separated, I think I separated 2015 and I met Ferg in 2016. That's right. Yep. Um, And, yeah, so we'd we'd been dating, but we had a long distance relationship. So he's from Ireland, from Dublin, Ireland, but I met him in Vegas. He just um, started a business over there and we met the old-fashioned way at a bar and we'd started dating, um, but travelling between Vegas, um, Bowen Heads and Dublin for a couple of years. That was probably, think you know, looking back, that was a big stress too. You know, every time I would go and visit him, I would be missing the kids and every time I was with the kids, I was missing him. So... There was a lot of stresses that I don't think I was managing and and that for me is, you know, looking back, I'm like, that's why I was diagnosed with breast cancer in August of 2019. Um, I had noticed, like I said, some changes in my body and after about six months of being told it was just hormonal, don't worry about it, you're totally fine, uh, I discovered a lump in my left breast, which turned out to be triple negative breast cancer, which is the most aggressive form. Um, I found it very early because I was 
was quite health conscious at the time. Found it very early, but did you find it yourself or was it a mammogram? Yeah, no, I found it myself. So th- it, di- it wasn't um, sh- didn't show on a mammogram. Um, didn't even show on a mammogram after I, f- I found the lump. It would only found on ultrasound later, but you could feel it at this stage. So it popped up. I could feel it. Uh, went in. I remember having the biopsy done and I actually remember going back to the GP to get the results and I'd taken the kids in the car. They were, kids were in the car park. Don't tell anybody. The kids are in the car in the car park. <laughs> and I said, I'll just pop in. <laughs> Turn the radio on. You'll be fine. Don't fight with your brother. Um, leave the air conditioner on. Leave the air conditioner Put the window down. And uh, I ran in and thought I was just going to get like a – they were going to say, yeah, it's fine. And uh, she sat me down. The GP sat me down. She said, I've got some very bad news. And I said, well – that's not yours to determine. You get to tell me what the news is. You don't get to say whether it's good or bad. And uh, she said, well, you've got triple negative breast cancer. So in that moment, rather than being totally freaked out, I I didn't cry at that stage. Well, the kids are in the car outside (laughs) illegally. Um, But all I remember is going, okay, now I need a plan. And so that's what I did. Um, A friend of mine was working at the Geelong Breast Clinic at that stage. I just messaged her straight away. Hey, my diagnosis came through got breast cancer who's the best oncologist who's the best surgeon who should I be seeing like who should I be getting my referrals to now in Geelong she gave me um, that information got Kim Prince was my um, general surgeon who's who I saw first Um, just saw her last week actually for my three-year all clear check yay but um, it was because I wasn't worried about finances that I didn't think about getting the best care I think at that point I was like I just need to have the best people look after me and get through this. Um, I also had a Chinese medicine doctor. I had a functional surgeon. I had, you know, like I I was able to spend time and money on things that really I knew were going to help me through that. Um, yeah, so diagnosed in the August, ended up having a double mastectomy and a reconstruction in October. I had a flight booked to go to Dublin in December. Uh Actually, it was like the 20th of November and I said to my surgeon, I need to be on that plane. I'm going overseas for, for Christmas. She said, Danny, I think that's a bit ridiculous. I'm like, whatever. So, <laughs> had the surgery. was on a plane a couple of weeks later. Totally fine. Been fine ever since, three years later. But I do remember when I told you, Jay, because I was diagnosed and it was about three days later, we had to go up to the Gold Coast for a conference uh, through my Arbonne business. And I hadn't told Kari... Uh, Danny knew who was with me and Megan who was my friend who worked at the Geelong Breast Clinic so all these people that I'd met through the Arbonne business Um, and I remember being up there I had to go to an event and I actually I had started doing a few things or like when I knew that something was off with my body I'd started to do lots of sort of nutritional things I'd been fasting and lots of things I remember Jay I saw you at a coffee shop I was having something to eat and he looked at me and said what's wrong with you and I said nothing's wrong with me before I'd said anything, he said, there's something different. And I was like, I'm totally fine. And then when he, when he walked off, I said to Danny, have you said something to him? Because he knows something's going on. Um, and it was that night I'd gone to an event and I came back to your room with Danny and, and spoke to you and Kari and said, this is the case. I've got breast cancer. Kari got upset. You looked at me and said, okay, what can we do? And I said, I don't know, what can we do? So in that moment, I remember looking at you and saying, I think we've got a plan for this. Yeah, you definitely had a plan. I think it's funny, well, not funny, haha, but funny how uh, circumstances lead 
almost they, they appear as though they happen by accident but they're obviously by design mm-hmm. uh, having a plan is for those exact instances like things aren't a problem until they're a problem mm-hmm. like things aren't a problem with uh, you know your health until it's a problem with your health same with family law same with mm-hmm. uh, estate planning uh, things aren't a problem until they're a problem and you need to get your shit together and one of the things that uh, I suppose that would have probably been an easy thing to overlook when you did separate was that we need to you know get rid of all of your expenses some of your expenses related to insurances that as a financial advisor you look at a, a, a single mum with three kids you have to have and having that conversation with you uh, around the need to you've got to protect yourself you've got to w- you're gonna have to rebuild your assets but you've got some insurance there that we need to maintain mm. in the event that something was to happen to you either death disability loss of income we need to make sure that not only you're okay but also that you've got capacity to continue to look after the kids and uh, you know those those things don't happen by accident and uh, you know being in this game for you know 20 odd years now unfortunately or fortunately whichever way you want to look at it we see uh, we've seen a lot of our clients and also people that come to us who haven't been clients that uh, are in very different situations those that have put a plan in place and have that sort of insulation of protection around them and you've got those that thought that it will never happen to me and Mm -hmm. I don't really need to prepare so 2019 the breast cancer diagnosis uh, you had uh, the surgery you've been three years clear of that but if we backtrack a little bit you did have some insurance in place Mm -hmm. which was able to really take away all of the financial and probably emotional burden of everything you were having to deal with at that time changed my life like literally changed my life i that that preparation i mean i talk about i've talked about this for years if with my network marketing business even like prepare for impact like have something in place just in case you just never know what's around the corner and having insurance i remember times jay though like i remember thinking sometimes like i remember it being a significant chunk every month of that i'd have to pay in insurances and i was going oh Maybe you should cancel it. Maybe that's something that I should, you know, could I cancel that? Or, you know, maybe I get on a lower bent, like maybe I can cut part of it down. Or, And it was just this inner knowing going, you know what? That's a safety net. That's preparing for impact. I'll do anything I have to do to, ha- to make sure that I continue to pay that, if nothing else. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, and, and I think it, it it is, like most things, It it's, a, it's complicated and... There are, you know, different circumstances where maybe, you know, looking at people's insurance and seeing that they've got more than they need uh, and they can actually, you know, reduce some of that cost. But it's really case by case. It's just so important. The awareness of what you've got to begin with is so important. If you have no idea what you've got, if you're going into it blind, then good luck making a decision about whether you should keep stuff or you shouldn't keep stuff or what this insurance actually is. What does it cover me for? Uh, if I cancel it now, can I reinstate it later? It's just a minefield of things to consider. Having some support, having people around you that can say, it's okay, just it's all right. This is the stuff we need to keep and why. Yep. Uh, this is the stuff we can modify and why. 
having a plan. And that's then the plan. And when you have that, particularly with something with income protection, something t- you know, t- total and permanent disability, it was a moment. And I remember having this. Con- and I looked at. I remember looking at you, Jay, and said, "I think I have. I, I've got insurance for this, don't I?" And he said, "Yeah." And I cannot tell you, as a mum that had been battling for, like literally battling, hustling for three years to just um, keep my head above water, it was such a relief. Being paid insurance money back to my family that would not only help me through that, that I could have the very best care that I wanted, but also set me up in so many other financial ways later that, and, and I'm in a position now where I'm just, I just don't have that worry anymore. And that's not something that I've, you know, I know for a fact that, the fin- that stress and financial stress is probably one of the worst stresses that you can have because I've experienced it. And not having that <laughs> is life-changing. It's profound. And uh, I think by getting that advice and putting that, pl- that plan in place and recognising that it could happen, anything could happen at any time and you need to be prepared for that is probably the most impo- single most important thing that anybody can do. And, and I'm not just talking about people who are going through separation and divorce. I'm talking about anybody at any time I believe needs to <laughs> need to have some type of safety plan in place. Like have, you know, do you know what your assets are? Do you have your wills worked out? Coming from a single parent point of view, a single mum point of view, what the hell was going to happen to my kids? Like, I wasn't getting paid child support. That, I didn't think that was about to miraculously start happening when I got sick. It didn't. You know, I didn't get extra support. My ex-husband didn't say, you know, I recognise this is stressful for you. Here's some money for the kids. None of that happened. So, it was the responsibility was mine. But thankfully, I had got the advice when I needed to and I'd put things in place. We'd put things in place and... You know, life's been pretty bloody good. I was so, like, I don't want to say it was great having cancer, but I was saying it wasn't, you know, I don't look at it in a really negative way. I went, you know, it's a bit of a shake-up for me. Had to start changing how I lived. You That's know. one of the things, if I had to sort of describe how you dealt with cancer from the outside looking in, you always had a very, very positive attitude and almost refuse to let the negativity uh, of the diagnosis even really exist like both um you know you were very much focused on you know what can i actually take control of what are the things that are in my control and listening back to all of the things that you've done in your life uh, from when you when you left school went to cairns to how you prepared for the separation, how you look to manage your kids, how you uh, dealt with your uh, your cancer diagnosis, you've always taken control and been willing to do what needs to be done, even in the face of uh, you know, difficulty, to mm. uh, to do the best for you and your family. And you know, maybe that's a personality trait, maybe that's a skill you have, but I think that it's also worth telling people out there that maybe don't feel as though they've got that same personality trait or they're not that skilled or they don't have that support network that you can acquire those things that you can reach out and get support around the areas that you're not great at just because tammy was able to find a way through this myriad of sort of uh, 
family and financial uh, hurdles, uh, it doesn't mean you can't as well. Mm. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, it's almost guaranteed not to be. But isn't it funny that some of the things that are the most challenging in your life that cause you the most grief in the moment, you can look back on later and say, hey, that actually formed who I am. Totally. I reckon, I, I think now that I'm the very best person in the world right now to help the woman that I used to be. And that woman that I used to be was considering separation, recognising that I was in a loveless marriage, an environment I didn't want to be in, a, an unsafe environment for my family, um, understanding that I needed to have a plan in place, wasn't too sure where to go, but then uh, started looking towards that, started to, to create a plan and, and, p- and put myself in the way of people that could help me with that. And uh, there's a lot of there are a lot of people. I mean, I could talk about men and women, but um, specifically talking to women here, there are a lot of women right now who I know for a fact are in in relationships in situations that might be unsafe, that um, that they really unsafe, unhealthy, not fulfilling to them, and they literally don't know what to do. There is no guide. There is no how to. There is no. There's nothing. You know. There's no guidebook that you go to go, okay, this is step one of what I need to do. Um, and and if I was going to survey uh, 50 women, I could tell you right now that probably 49 out of 50 would say that they've stayed, and, and these are women who are separated or divorced now, 50, 49 out of 50 would say that they stayed longer than what they would have stayed if they'd known what to do or if they were financially free or had financial choice over, over, their, you know, over their own life. They would made different choices. And I th- that's why I think this is so significant that, you know, if I was going to offer you a million dollars tomorrow to drop into your bank account, what difference would you make to your life today? And if you would, if the first thing that comes to your head is like, oh, get the hell out of here, <laughs> then it might be time to start looking at ways of doing that. Uh, you start to put some things in place. Y- there's no reason why you can't. Well... This is probably a pretty good way to round out the conversation today, Tammy, uh, and probably a good segue into, because I don't think we've mentioned it yet, about uh, how your own business and uh, conversations and consulting around this area um, have evolved to your your current project, a project that hasn't quite released yet, but uh, mm-hmm. that you're, you're working on, given the passion you have around particularly women empowering themselves to get their shit together, get a plan in place for, uh, and prepare for impact for, for, for things like uh, separation, uh, you know, being in relationships maybe that are not healthy for them. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing with yourself at the moment? So at the moment I am um, currently creating, which we're going to be launching in October, a brand new community. It'll be a membership community for women who are going through considering or going through separation and divorce or maybe they're just on the other side of that and not feeling like they're empowered or thriving but it, i suppose um, out of the back of the back end of all of this is my mission i now believe is to to help women who are going through transitioning through that entire process moving through that process how to do it in in a way that's going to give them uh, the most positive positive empowered um, move movement through that to not be a victim of their circumstance and instead come out of it 
like I have, you know, I've got an amazing, an amazing life. Um, might not be the, the life that the listeners want right now, <laughs> but um, a version of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm grateful every single day. I have a fantastic, beautiful, healthy family. I've got a healthy body. I have income. I have, and now I have knowledge and opportunity to help other people who are, who are going through this process. So that's what I'm creating. So um, the I Am Tam podcast kicks off in October. And that's going to be, um, I'm also an integrative nutrition wellness coach. So it's under that banner is not just, you know, getting the right financial advice and legal advice, but also what are you doing for your own health? Are you taking care of yourself through this? Because like we were talking before, it's a, it's a really stressful time. Yeah. Uh, and just to be clear, uh, you're not giving people financial advice or legal advice, but what you are doing is mm-hmm. creating a community and a, a being a conduit through which you can direct people to the totally. services that they actually need. Yep. Yep. So the... the the idea of the community. So the actual community itself is going to be called I Do To Divorce, <laughs> which we had a little bit of a chat, a bit of a laugh about before. So I do, obviously being I do when you get married, but I do to divorce. So m- not making, trying to sort of remove a bit of the stigma around being separated and divorced and and I- encourage people to be empowered through that process because I believe if you come through it in a positive way, it's also going to, th- particularly if you're a single parent, it, it, that is going to... Um, that's going to help everybody around you and that includes your kids move through that process. If you talk to my kids today, they wouldn't think that their life was any different to anybody else's. They don't think that it was a bad thing being raised by a single mum. They don't. They just think it's just normal. My eldest son told me, I was, you know, he's had a basic upbringing the other day. I was like a little offended by basic because I've <laughs> never did had basic. Did you have him define basic? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> he goes, well, just normal mum. Yeah. yeah, just normal. So it's probably a a good thing. A good thing, yeah. Yeah. So when I look at it and I go, okay, well, I- after everything that I've just spoken about, to have a 14-year-old son that says, well, we just had a normal, we just got a normal life, mum, you know. Um, he doesn't have a normal life. He lives in bloody bow and heads in a, in a, I- everything. He lives in a bit of the bubble. Uh, my kids live in a bit of the bubble, which I don't mind either. But we have an, um, we have really an extraordinary life. We have a fantastic life. We travel. We, um, you know, we have so many opportunities and, and, uh, you know, just a great lifestyle. So I think, um, you know, through through my pain, I suppose my pain and my challenges from born from that is my now ability to be able to direct people to the people that can help them. And you, Jay, one of, the, one of those people, um, I think it's super important for anyone going through that to get in touch with somebody that can help them make an appointment, what's the worst thing that can happen, you know, like that's that's how I think about it, you know, get informed, then make a decision. Um, so the community will be, you know, membership monthly and people can come in and come out of it as they please, but in there there'll be resources, there's a guide um, on how to move through separation and divorce in an empowered way and thriving. There'll be lots of stuff in there about um, your health, taking care of yourself, um, interviews, talking to people like yourself or to family lawyers and things that you can access. It's like a sort of a go-to portal, I suppose, for people that are thinking about it or going through it. They can come to and have affordable insight and um, information for where they need to go to next. Yeah, sort of a go, a one-stop shop. <laughs> yeah, well, it, there's no doubt that the topics that uh, the people that would be subscribing to uh, – I do to divorce. Um, they're they're kind of gnarly topics. They're stuff that uh, get people worked up, and maybe you've got making it as 
inclusive and as relatable as you possibly can is going to be really important. Yeah. Like making sure, because to be honest, it's not that sexy and not that exciting to think, hey, I'm going to go and see a financial advisor. I'm going to go and see a family lawyer. It, it, it's not the it's not the uh, the sexiest area to uh, be involved in, but it's super important. And I think if, uh, listen, credit to you for taking your experience and I suppose distilling it down to something that's going to be relatable to the to every person that every person that's gone through a similar circumstance as you they'll have the opportunity not to think hey i've got to go and see a financial advisor uh straight up or i've got to go and see a family lawyer they can actually listen to someone that's actually experienced uh, what you have and maybe many other people who i'm sure you'll have on that have experienced similarly and again give them some some confidence and some reassurance that they're actually moving in the right direction and uh, i'm sure you would agree that this this conversation is not a this is not a man-hating conversation at all this is just about people individually giving them the opportunity to take personal responsibility and say hey no one else is probably going to do this for you and like you said uh, a few times listen i looked around and realized that hey there's only there's only one person who can can make a change here and control this and it's you yeah so if you can, however you do it, if you can give people that uh, the opportunity for them to to take ownership, mm. I think that's a great thing, and do it in a in a supportive way, in a in a loving way, and a way that they can then get the resources that they need. So, yeah. uh, hats off to you, Tam. Thanks, mate. Uh, where else can people find you on socials? You can find me at Tam underscore Shields. On Instagram, Tam Shields was already taken. That's what Jay was gonna about <laughs> to say. I just stopped. <laughs> Tam underscore Shields on Instagram or just Tam, Sh- Tam Shields on, on Facebook as well. But Instagram is where you'll find me the most. Um, new website's going to be launched as well with everything on there. Um, I do have currently do have a podcast called the Inner Pink Fit Podcast, but we're going to be transitioning over to I Am Tam uh, in the coming months. So if people want to hear Inner Pink Fit, where can they find it? They can Tam? find it on... All of the usual, so Spotify, iTunes, all that jazz. So um, at Inner Pink Fit, if you want to jump on and have a look at that as well, we've we've sort of clo- we're we're closing down in Pink Fit as a business model at the moment and moving more towards um, Tam Shields or I am Tam and I do to divorce. But you still can find everything on there. If you go into uh, um, Tam Shields, you'll be able to see the about the Inner Pink Fit podcast. Awesome, Tam. Is there anything else you want to say before we close things out? Take responsibility, ladies. Thanks, Jay. <laughs>